because one thing our culture knows, it's how to market something. First of all, you've got to package it well, make sure the packaging is, has rich colours, glossy pictures. Make sure your um, product has no dark secrets that could be exposed, revealing that one t-shirt was made with child labour or one toy has got lead paint on it, could destroy the whole product range. And um, then devise a really good advertising campaign. If you can use stunningly attractive models, that's perfect. And failing that, then um, certainly for British adverts, make people laugh. And you've got them. But I suspect, give a, give a, we're echoing again, I'm afraid, PA people. Can you just turn me down a bit? I'm sorry, I've got such a loud voice. I'll keep talking there, that sounds a bit better. I suspect given, given, given advertising man the task of marketing the church and you blanch and the packaging's a bit tarnished already for a start. Old crumbling buildings, quaint, quaint ceremonies, a hodgepodge of rather odd people attending. Skeletons in the cupboard are so numerous they seem to spill out all over the uh, house. Sex scandals, financial irregularities, child abuse, alliances with dodgy political regimes, abuse of power, stretching back all the way to the uh, Crusades and uh, beyond. It seems to me that, 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 that to an advertising executive at least, the church has a pretty irredeemable image problem. It would take the mother of all advertising campaigns to make a difference, wouldn't it? Perhaps we should try, though. There's one episode of The uh, Simpsons which uh, depicts a rather bemused motorist being accosted by um, beautiful, scantily clad women seductively uh, beckoning uh, to him. And one of them, he notices, has a glittering cross around her neck. And then a voiceover says, The Catholic Church. We've made a few changes. (laughs) Uh, A few years ago, the the, um, annual National National Alpha Initiative started to uh, rent uh, advertising spaces on um, Oxford buses. And uh, one of the early adverts was a massive picture of a beautiful, expensively dressed young woman with earrings and a pearl necklace and a delightful smile. And I have to say that I laughed every time I saw this wonderful vision of loveliness sailing down the Cowley Road on the, on the back of a bus um, amongst us drab, hassled, scruffy, grumpy shoppers who were wandering around there. I mean, who wouldn't want to be that girl? Who wouldn't want to sit next to her in church? I could hear the Simpsons voiceover saying, the evangelical church. We've made a few changes. And I'm not having a go at Alpha, I have to say. I mean, did you notice the, um, the picture we had on our wine tasting adverts? If you want to advertise an event, you, 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 uh, you're just not going to put ordinary, quirky, obviously flawed, below average income people on the flyers, are you? So what was God playing at when he founded his church?
I mean, from the start, he chose an obviously flawed group of nobodies who would have been an advertising man's nightmare. They were a bunch of rural peasants. Were they expected to take the gospel to the world? The gospels record them. Um, bickering, impetuous, cowardly, pessimists, losers. And the Apostle Paul himself seems a little bit more um, better qualified, well-educated, cosmopolitan sort of chap that he was, but then he chooses a suicidal marketing policy, abandoning glossy presentation styles, working, he says, as a manual labourer an awful lot of the time, and preaching his message in such a way that it always seemed to cause riots and end up in him getting run out of town. A few years ago, Gerald Ratner of Ratner's Jewellers um, uh, lost his job, I don't know whether you remember, because he stood up at a meeting and he joked that Ratner's had grown successful by selling rubbish. He actually used a slightly ruder word than that, but I, I don't want to lose my, lose my job as a pastor. <coughs> well, frankly, God seems to have um, made Gerald Ratner's pro- uh, mistake, doesn't he? inadvertently revealing that his product is rubbish. At least that's what the Corinthians thought. If you've been uh, with us for a few weeks, you'll remember Corinth was a successful, cosmopolitan, thriving city. And the church that Paul planted there had thrived too. Rich and poor got converted, slave and free, Roman citizens and immigrants, educated and uneducated. But after Paul had left, a group of wealthy, successful leaders had had started to question Paul's frankly non-existent marketing strategy. Now, the church had grown in its first phase, Okay, they said. But if it's going to continue to grow in an image-conscious culture like ours, then it needs to brush up on its image. It needs to adopt the standard techniques of today. It needs clever speakers. It needs slick presenters who will draw the crowds. It needs impressive signs of spiritual power to give it credibility. All good religions need spiritual fireworks. And they take off. And Paul has been saying through chapter 1, no. That's not so. A couple of weeks ago, in uh, verses 18 to 25 of chapter 1, he insisted actually (coughs) that the central message of Christianity... The message of the cross is always, always going to be regarded as foolishness by the world. Verse 18, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, he said. Indeed, says Paul, that is God's express intention. God in his wisdom has ordained that human reasoning, human persuasion, human wisdom is not going to lead us to him. Rather, he has ordained that people should simply proclaim Christ crucified 
and let God do a most extraordinary miracle. A miracle in which he opens eyes, in which he reveals the wisdom of God on the cross, in which by his power he saves people. Verse 21. Since in the wisdom of the world, uh, of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. That's God's method, God's wisdom. To not let the world know him through its cleverness, through its slickness, through its advertising campaigns. But actually to let the world know him simply through portraying Jesus on the cross. Jesus shamed and rejected. Jesus ridiculed. Jesus mocked. But Jesus as God the Son paying for our sins. We do that. God does the rest. But Paul now goes on verses 26 and onwards. He's first of all said, well, the message cannot be, must not be repackaged in a way that makes it more attractive. How could it be more attractive than the message of the cross? But now Paul explains that actually God has chosen an advertising strategy. But it's a very surprising one. He doesn't use beautiful models and slick presentations. He uses ordinary people. Verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. When God founded his church in Corinth, it comprised mainly just ordinary people. Not many highly educated or powerful or born with a silver spoon uh, in their mouths. This was a central part of God's strategy for the world to choose ordinary people. And it immediately, of course, um, points us to something that, that, I, that I mentioned um, before um, in this context. Evangelical Christianity in Britain is finding it increasingly hard to say not many were wise or powerful. Charismatic churches have actually done better than... Um, uh, churches of, of, of our stripe but it seems to me that there's a strong upward social trend amongst uh, all churches in this country exactly as there was in Corinth. Now, 
I have to confess, I've probably been guilty of overemphasizing the New Testament's vision for the poorer segments of society. So let me try to be completely uncharacteristically balanced this morning rather than uh, anything else. Daniel Blanche pointed out to us a few months ago, didn't he, um, uh, that uh, Selina Countess of Huntingdon, the great 18th century uh, supporter of evangelicalism, used to say she was saved by an M. Because Paul didn't say not any were of noble birth. He said not many And that is important for us to grasp because actually close examination of the church in Corinth reveals a number of prominent people in in its ranks. Priscilla and Aquila, for instance, who we've uh, mentioned before, were, were there at the beginning. Aquila was a wealthy man who owned a large house whilst Priscilla was almost certainly a, a Roman noblewoman. Romans 16 as well mentions um, a man in Corinth named Erastus who is called the city's director of public works. The ruins of uh, Corinth actually have the remains of a a large stone pavement which is inscribed with the words Erastus laid this pavement at his own expense in appreciation of his appointment as Edile. Edile was was a very prominent civic role in the city and most probably that Erastus on the inscription is the same Erastus who is mentioned here um, in uh, in the New Testament. He would have been one of the wealthiest, most prominent men in the city. Or uh, in chapter 1 verse 11 if you um, glance back we learn that Paul has discovered the troubles in Corinth because Chloe's people Um, some from Chloe's household, which almost certainly means slaves of Chloe have come and reported to him. Here is a wealthy businesswoman who sends her envoys around uh, the Mediterranean and they happen, incidentally, to visit Paul. So it would be to overstate the case to suggest that the Corinthian church comprised only slaves and uh, labourers And it would be over to overstate the case as well to say that in British history the um, uh, evangelical church has always been um, um, a a very low, of a very low social class outside of the um, Anglican church, which was always has been a little bit posher. um, uh, Non-conformist churches described themselves self-consciously again and again as middling sort of folk. In other words, there never have been a majority of the poorest of the poor. Almost certainly not in Corinth and certainly not in the last uh, several hundred years in, uh, in British churches in this country. Bible-believing churches have have been populated with middling sort of folk, shopkeepers, clerks, owners of small businesses, skilled labourers. Jesus was a carpenter, wasn't he? Perhaps he set eternally the sort of centre of gravity of what we can expect to see in faithful churches. Middling sort of folk. It's 
actually clear in Corinth that Paul's key allies were actually amongst the wealthy, high-born people. Priscilla and uh, uh, Aquila had been pivotal in the church's early growth. They supported Paul. They provided a venue for the church to, to, to meet in. And when uh, Chloe is clearly concerned about the problems in, uh, uh, in Corinth, Erastus may well have been a travelling companion of Paul from evidence elsewhere. There's a man called Stephanus in the church who was a major generous financial donor to him. Humanly speaking, these wealthy people were important. They were linchpins. They were key people. Just as more able people in the church are likely to end up running things, more wealthy people, of course, will end up being key financial donors. But the church was not run for them. That's the key. Under Paul's leadership, educated though he was, and under Priscilla and Aquila's roof, massively wealthy though they were, it didn't feel like an educated, privileged people's club. didn't feel like a middle-class reading group. It didn't feel like a university lecture theatre. It didn't feel like a posh dinner party or a photo shoot of Hello! magazine. It felt ordinary. Now, perhaps not ordinary in every single way. For instance, in every generation, in every Bible-believing church, there has been an emphasis on teaching the Bible. Illiterate people have learned to read. And of course, noble Priscilla was welcome in the church. It's just that so was the slave. Indeed, important as those wealthy people were, Paul makes it plain, the great advertisement for the Gospel was not Priscilla and Erastus. It was the ordinary people. Verse 27 God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are. Most of us here, if not now, then later in life, will actually be classified as wise and influential, if not noble. You may not feel like it at the moment, but uh, 75% of, inner, of people in inner, inner East Oxford either have a degree or are studying for one. The national average is 19%. Um, I know many of you younger people don't feel um, 
particularly special at the moment. But as the years go by, as time goes on, as you move out into other churches, in other situations, you will find that you naturally gravitate to a relatively senior position. You are the Priscilla's and Aquila's, the Chloe's, the Erastus's of this world and you are vital. But we must understand the church is not for us. Amazing as it may seem, it's most powerful advertisement is not that you're there but that others feel welcome too. And it is so easy for us to lead not like Priscilla, Aquila, Chloe and Erastus but like these unnamed leaders whom Paul never names but whom he is opposing who want to make the culture comfortable for the upper echelons. Perhaps the music's just too crude. Perhaps you don't like, a, a friend of mine who's a pastor says that the first, um, first 20 minutes of uh, services he always feels are rather like um, the rainforest with the baboons going off over there whoop, 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 whoop. <laughs> and uh, the sort of constant trill of the cicadas over there and, uh, and something rushes across the screen as we saw this morning. You know, it's just not, um, not conducive for a certain stratum of, uh, uh, of society. Perhaps for you, sermons are just too emotional. Perhaps the church is just too down at heel. Whatever it is, we start to feel, well, we provide the leadership, we provide the bulk of the money. Surely he who pays the piper play, uh, uh, calls the tune. We know how to market the church. We have the perfect strap line the evangelical church, we've made a few changes. Paul says, no, that's not right. The church's glory is not that. The church's glory is the drug addict who is being supported to stay clean. It's the asylum seeker who has found a welcome. It's the, it's the ordinary bloke. It's the faithful people who uh, serve in all sorts of unseen ways and probably would be a bit daunted if they were put up too prominently. Because they feel that they're ordinary. Paul says they're extraordinary. They are the treasure of his church. Stories told, I was trying to remember it with um, James Gregg earlier. It came to, to, to my mind. James told me the story of how the church under pressure in Rome, I think it was, was told that it had got to uh, surrender all its treasures 
because they had a reputation of being very rich and uh, uh, the deadline came and the place for the surrender to, to be uh, uh, handing over the treasure had been named. The leader was a man called Lawrence. When they came to where Lawrence was, he had beggars, lame people, the poor people from the church. They said, where's your money? Where's your treasure? He said, these are the treasure of God's church. We are ordinary people. But you see, that just goes to highlight that we serve an extraordinary God. That is why God has done it. He has chosen, you see, to shame those who would try to make us look more attractive by their slick advertising campaigns. No, he says, actually our ordinariness displays the greatness of God. Each one of us, rich and poor, says the Apostle, has had something extraordinary done for us. It is because of him, that is, it is because of God, that you are in Christ Jesus, verse 30, (coughs) who has become for us wisdom from God, that is, our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Every one of us here who is a Christian and every Um, Christian you will ever meet has greater wisdom than any non-Christian professor teaching at the University of Oxford or anywhere else. Every one of them has a wisdom greater than that because they know Christ. They have seen the genius of God that he should send his own son in the form of a man to die for us, to pay for all of our sins, to forgive us utterly and eternally forever and ever so that we can never now be separated from the just God because the just God has paid the just penalty himself and so now we are assured of resurrection life and an eternity in his presence. That is a genius solution to the world's problems. And every single person who knows Christ has seen it. In fact, Paul expands on that genius doesn't he? Did you see it in verse 30? That is our righteousness, holiness and redemption. Quite possibly he has chosen those words really quite carefully. You see, to say that Christ is our righteousness is to say that Christ has put us right with God. To say that Christ has put us, put us in, a, in a right standing with God. And marginalised people in Corinth did not have a right standing with society. 
They were cut off from access to power. They had no vote. They had no power. They had no place in society. You marginalised people, says Paul. You have Christ our righteousness. You have Christ who has put you in a right relationship with God so that you have access to him forever. Why do you worry about being marginalised in society? God has given you far, far more. And Priscilla and Erastus, I know you have access to the corridors of power. I know you have a good standing in this city. But remember that means nothing. Absolutely nothing compared with having a right relationship with God and Christ has given you that. So Priscilla and Erastus and you slaves, you're exactly the same. Possessors of infinite treasure. Or... um, the word holiness has a, has, a, has a sense of being set apart especially for God. Treasured by God. If you are a Christian here this morning, you are special to God. You are a, a jewel in Christ's crown. You are part of His glorious inheritance in the saints. Dave and Claire Trenchard, I'm sure, unless they're here, they're not here, are they? No, good. They deserve a week off. Are sitting at home now, treasuring little Beth and Grace. And if Dave's anything like me, he'd be thinking, I'd give anything for this person, this little baby. He's absolutely a treasure. And that's what God thinks of you. He did give everything for you. Gave Jesus Christ. Who set you apart. Who walled you off. Gave you a status as precious as holy. Just think what that meant to an unnoticed, unloved, lowly despised person in Corinth. It can mean that for you too. And says uh, the Apostle Christ is our redemption. Slaves knew exactly what that meant. They longed for it. They were not free. They were bound. And it was in certain circumstances possible to be redeemed at a cost. To become free in the Roman Empire. Well, says Paul, you are free in Christ. 
There is nothing now that holds you back. Oh yes, in this dying, decaying world you may have to endure all sorts of limitations and trials and powers that feel more powerful than you. But actually Christ is more powerful than than any of them and he has set you free. You are at liberty and one day that liberty will become glorious in eternity. And Priscilla and Erastus, remember that free to wander around the Roman world though you were, you were not really free until you found Christ. You're all exactly the same. So don't boast about anything to do with status. Don't try to package the church and make it um, more beautiful than it already is. Indeed, to try to make the church more precious, uh, um, an author some years ago, uh, more beautiful, is like trying to wrap a jewel in bako foil. Just let the jewel shine. Just let the jewel reflect the glory of God. Therefore, as it is written, says Paul, verse 31, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. Yeah, let's be outspoken. Let's advertise God who made us all exactly the same, treasured by him for all eternity. That is how God's church will grow and prosper and bring many new people in. We need no false advertising campaign. Simply be the people God has made us and he'll do the rest.